recognize that communication is fraught with uh, challenges and that we have all developed many, many habits. We have many, many patterns and recognizing when we are frustrated that maybe we are the reason for that. Recognizing if we feel like we have to keep repeating ourselves, if nobody's reading the stuff we send them, if nobody's responding when we ask them to, you know, what is what is going on and, and am I a part of that and how can I override the things that I'm doing? I mean, as I said, one of the key principles in that Train the Trainer course I've mentioned several times is if what you're doing isn't working, try something else. So if you're finding that workplace communication is interfering with your productivity, it's taking up too much time, it's not accomplishing anything, you're not finding it meaningful, let's stop and see if there is some alternate way, particularly through something like the use of visuals, for instance, that can help improve it and ease your own frustration. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. My name is Matt Pierce, host of Visual Lounge, where we're talking about using images and video in the workplace. And today is especially talking about the workplace because we're going to be revealing some research and some findings about workplace communications that we think you're going to find really interesting and hopefully helpful. So with that said, we're going to dive in and talk with our guests, but first introduce her. Dr. Jane Bowes, our director of the research of research for the Learning Guild, is a veteran classroom trainer who transitioned to e-learning in the late 1990s and never looked back. She is the author of several books, including e-learning solutions on a shoestring, social media for trainers, and show your work, the payoffs and how-tos of working out loud. Jane holds a master's degree in technology-based training and a doctorate in training and development, and it's my pleasure to welcome her back to the Visual Lounge. Hi, Jane. Hey there, Matt. How are you today? I am doing great, and I am excited to chat with you and and dive into the, our research here. So first and foremost, obviously, we've got this workplace comm study that we did. I think we're, we're calling it From Chaos to Clarity, How to Thrive in the Modern Workplace, <laughs> which uh, hopefully isn't too overblown, but uh, set us up here a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the research here. Well, uh, we surveyed, I believe we ended up with an N of about 969. I don't think I'm making that up. We ended up with close close to 1,000 people, both customers and non-customers, Snagit users, non-Snagit users, looking at their current state of workplace communication, what made them happy, what made them unhappy, what was problematic, whether things were problematic. We got a couple of surprises with, because we assumed some things were that were not, uh, finding out how workplace communication happened in the sense of, is it holding things up? Is it moving things forward? Are you having to repeat things? Are you having to re-explain? Are you finding meetings useful? Are you finding that you spend enough, too much, not enough time in meetings? We looked at some variables like whether they were in the office or remote. We took a look at, at age, at you know age and time in the workplace. We took a look at uh, work location. We found a few things different in Europe versus the United States. Not huge, not huge differences geographically, because a lot of people are remote and global companies now, right? So we we took a look at generally at workplace communication, what was going on, whether and what were some frustrations, and that sort of thing. All right. So I mean, there's a there's a lot here, and I think it was for me as I've been reading through the report, kind of re reviewing it and what's going on. It's it's been interesting. I want to start with one of the things I think. I found interesting is one of the workplace communications is the classic, right? How long in, in this world uh, has existed have we had meetings for, right? It seems like, you know, at nights of the round table, we're having, it was a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, meetings go back however long, I think, almost civilization goes. And I would have thought, Jane, that as 
as someone who goes to a lot of meetings for my role, that everyone would have said, oh my gosh, please stop. Please stop with meetings. But what was it that we actually found? We found that people did not feel that way, that people in general, for the most part, felt they spent about the right amount of time in meetings. And the ones who did not, where we saw, and this was, I thought, among the most interesting of the findings, there were certain kinds of meetings that they valued quite a bit. They thought they were meaningful. They thought they were useful. And then there were others that were not. So it was not so much the number of meetings, the amount of time people spent in meetings. It was whether they were perceived as useful, which makes sense. I mean, it's kind of intuitive, but I think, yes, we are. We hypothesize that everybody would say, we hate meetings. We got to stop meetings. We have to cut back. And that is not what it was. It was only certain kinds of things that they felt were unnecessarily taking up time, interrupting their day that kind of thing. Yeah, which is so interesting because I I mean, I get it, right? Like I think I have been in those meetings that have been good that you feel like, yeah, this is really productive. It's really worth my time to be here. Then I've also been in the meetings where it's like, why was why was I here? This meeting could have been an email, right? We say that. We say that a lot. My favorite meetings and I don't have to do this a lot. I worked for state government for 27 years and there's a lot of there are a lot of standing meetings and one of the things that used to drive me especially crazy was when we had meetings to talk about meetings like we had to have a meeting to talk about the how we were going to do more meetings and when we should do and whether we needed more meetings drove me crazy that's why I'm that's what's happened to me is what happened to my brain was too many of those <laughs> absolutely well i am wearing a should have been a snag it shirt today because uh, <laughs> I, in in appreciation of our topic. But so Jane, let's talk about this for a minute because I, I think from a practical standpoint, whereas I'm like, okay, I'm also a manager, so I'm also the cause of many meetings, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, it's oftentimes it's like the fastest, easiest way for me to right. to maybe communicate something or to work with someone. So if we're kind of putting on our, hey, let's improve meetings because if we know they're valuable, if they're productive, what what advice would you give us about making and having, holding better meetings? Well, what what respondents said, and it was not a few. I mean, again, this was kind of a surprise to us. They said that that they found that that when you need to get, when you need brainstorming, when you needed decision-making, with, that was a reason to get people together. That was good because it might save you time, but getting a bunch of people together, particularly if they're remote, particularly if there are time zone issues, you got people on two or three sides of the pond or wherever you are, it is not necessarily that time-saving. Often you delay work just trying to get everybody together. I, I remember that happening a lot, even when I wasn't working in a global remote situation, just trying to find a time for everybody to get together. But they felt that if you needed if you needed collaborative thought, if there was decision-making, if there was brainstorming, that kind of thing, those meetings were, were perceived as useful and valuable and meaningful. It was when it was things like status updates, policy updates, Basic things like that, that everybody was saying this meeting could have been an email or it could have been and and to to feed into what we were talking about to use visuals. It could have been an asynchronous video. You could just map, for instance, you could just review weekly updates, send it out as a single uh, video file, be, be done with it, ask for feedback if you like, ask for comment. But you don't have to wait to get everybody together to to go over something that happened over the last couple of weeks. I mean, just routine news. Does that make sense? It it does, and actually, I um, my my boss is the vice president of marketing, and I think she's she's masterful at this because, in fact, I know after we're done talking today, I've got an email or not an email, but a video to go watch, right? And the great thing I, I'll just put out there, I love, and I think this is a valuable tool for someone's doing this is I watch it at time and a half speed or sometimes two times speed. So right, yeah, me too. 
it's an eight minute video, but it will take me <laughs> four, four minutes, right? Yeah. Bring forward to the to the things that are relevant to you. You know, so many times we're at a meeting talking about some specific thing project Jeff is working on. And while that may be okay, it's not really, you know, we're using up time. And I need to say, I think sometimes to to be fair to the managers, back to my point about how it can be so difficult to get everybody together, I think maybe sometimes that is what spurs the envelopment of a standing meeting. Like if everybody knows we get together at two o'clock on Tuesday, I don't have to keep wrangling people. The problem is then you are obligated to have a meeting and we're hesitant to call those off. You don't want to cause too much confusion. You don't want to cancel too many because then people stop taking it seriously. So I think I worry that we may have created our own problem with that. But yeah, I, you know, a video could be a one, an asynchronous video could be a wonderful way for people to get caught up, to feel that you get a little face to face with your staff, to, to feel that, you know, they have a way they can access it when they want. And to your point, how you want, I also speed videos up quite a bit. You can do it at your own speed, at your own rate. And that person that you have who always at the end asks an irrelevant question that makes the meeting go longer, you don't have that anymore. There's there's a problem with self. No, I, I but it's, it's it's true, right? We've all been I, we've been held captive in meetings before. I've mm-hmm. I've definitely been there, and I'm not saying everybody does that. Not you know, people should ask the questions that they have, but I think making it and doing it in such a way that allows ineffectiveness, right? If you've got eight people in a room. And they're all being held captive but by something maybe that is or is not applicable to them. That's a big deal. I, and I find what I do because I'm also what we, what we call Midwestern nice. I don't want to leave. Yeah. Because. Southern. Southern. So, right. Like we don't want to leave because uh, one, what if it's important? What if I have something to input on? What, it, what, what if, what if, what if? But then I'm like at the end of it, most times I'm like, I didn't really need to be there for that. But I didn't use my feet to get up and, and leave. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we did not explore this. This is entirely Jane's anecdotal thinking on this. But I think during COVID particularly, there just got to be this felt need that we should be together, whatever that meant. And I think that that I have certainly been in a case of, well, we just need to get together. We just need some FaceTime. We just need to see each other. And that may be true or not. But if it's really cutting into somebody's productivity, if work is not getting done just so we can hang out for no good reason, and people are not finding that valuable. I mean, maybe the manager does. And often there will be, you know, there's always somebody on a staff who remembers the birthday, who gets the card, who says we should have a baby shower, who says, well, Jim's mother has been sick. You know, there's always a person that is kind of that way. And they tend to be, in my experience, the one that's like, we should get together. We should just see each other. We should do stuff. And if it's leading to frustration and people feel like it is cutting into their ability to get things done, maybe that's something we ought to Figure, figure out another way or limit the way. I don't know. This is Jane talking. I yeah. might get in trouble. With that, so. No, I mean, I think that it's, it's finding the, the balance and all those things. I did see a headline today that, and I did not dive into the article because I was prepping for this, but it said that uh, work from home numbers are at the lowest since the beginning of the pandemic that, you know, so I think there's the, there's these trends that are happening that, you know, people are coming back more into the office, whether it's forced or for whatever reasons, but that, but yeah, there's these times it's like, well, are we using that time together effectively? And so I think, uh, so I do think it was surprising to me that people like meetings, but again, a meeting, we're not saying meetings are bad. It's just that finding that make your meetings productive and for the right reason, and you can use these right. other communication methods. To right. Well, you know, they're a tool and maybe we need to use them more strategically. Again, it seemed to be more the type of a meeting just to, again, review some new policy, some, some memo change, some status updates, 
those things were not perceived as being very useful. But if you need to be together to make some decisions or think through something, again, brainstorming is the word we use, uh, that that's seems to be fine with folks. So, so Jane, let's let's get a little bit of practical advice here. So let's say, because and I think async video is something that, I mean, look, mm-hmm. Snagit has been able to do that for a long time. It's something that we're talking a lot about, uh, but it can be for those meetings that don't need to be meetings. Or the other thing we found is uh, email communications are still the dominant form of communication. And sometimes, I mean, I get a lot of email and sometimes it's like, well, would it be have been better for that to be visual? So let's, but let's get practical about kind of when you're thinking asynchronous communication videos, what advice would you give people? Because I, I see where someone's going to see this and I, and I'm, I'm there with them. I get it. You sent me a video and now it is also problematic, right? You asked me and you know, now it's a 20 minute video and even at two times speed, right? Like there's, there's, it could become its own kind of problem in a sense. So how can we make sure we're doing those well or being effective in using async video? I would say a few things. First of all, I would say learn to set a time for yourself. Learn that they're not going to be 20 minutes. Learn that you, you've got five to get to your key points. I mean, as if you're giving any other presentation where you've got 45 minutes, you need to, to narrow down to what your critical content is. What is it you really want to say? Keep it, keep it short. Keep it five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. Cause you're right. People, when they see that coming in, are going to be like, Oh no, here we go. Also, you know, we didn't talk about this in the report, but make sure 14 people aren't doing that in one day. I mean, one video, two or three days is a novelty, but if everybody's doing it, then it just turns our whole day into more. It's like email was all over again. Another thing I would recommend, and I think it's safe to assume pretty much everybody who is reading the report, looking at the podcast, using your products. I think it's safe to assume pretty much everybody now has seen YouTube videos, likely use them to solve a problem, answer a question. And some of them are clearly really off the cuff. They're very unrehearsed and the person yammers and yammers and yammers till they get to their point. I would suggest if you are the person recording the video Take another five minutes to just sort of rehearse it and hear how much you're talking and see if you can cut it down. It's like any other kind of giving kind of presentation. Again, I don't mean this to be a whole lot of extra work, but I am suggesting that just talking through to get to what you want to get to can be very useful and it can help you learn to to trim it down to a reasonable length. But, you know, use them also judiciously. You know, if you don't need to do status updates every 20 minutes, right? If you do those once a week live, do them that, that much or less via asynchronous video. Those are the things that come to mind. You got anything? Well, I know I just, uh, your your point about the time, right? Putting a little time up front. Because, you know, I often have people when I suggest this type of thing, they're saying, well, well, that takes me a lot of time to make it. But then you got to multiply the, on the back end. How many people are going to watch this? Is it eight? Is it 10? Is it 100? And then think about how much time you would have spent communicating that out. And that's, you know, got to, it may not affect you, but I, who, I guess it's kind of like what's what's the stature? Is what you're saying really the most important thing, mm-hmm. or you know, are is are these ten people also doing really important things? So I I do think um, that's a really important thing to take a little extra time to get it to get it right, or even in post, kind of you record it to trim it up, right? Clean yeah, trim it up. Well, but I you know I would say if we compare that to what happens with a traditional face to face meeting, nobody's rehearsed that either. How much time is spent? In a warm up at a face to face meeting, just trying to get to what I said we were getting everybody together for. I mean, <laughs> and that's wasting eleven people's time and not just not just yours. So I'm not suggesting that it has to be overproduced. Yeah. It's not going to be Scorsese at three and a half hours, but it, I am suggesting to just 
hearing yourself say something sometimes can be very informative. You don't realize that you're stumbling along. You don't realize uh, it's like I need to shut up. So I, I just am suggesting run through it once and and see if what you plan to say makes makes good sense. Also, if you flub something or make a mistake, you don't have to just keep starting over. You'll hear that coming and you can forestall that ahead of time. But yeah. I would say keep an eye on the clock. You know, don't be sending out 40 minute videos. You have defeated your own purpose there. And if people didn't find that meeting very useful, they sure won't find a video useful, except they can scrub it along and fast forward you. <laughs> yeah. And I'd also say to your point about flubs, if you make a mistake, you would have made a mistake in the meeting. Right. <laughs> right. People know you're not perfect. It's okay. I mean, as long as you haven't said something completely untruthful, dangerous or or whatever, you know, it's like mistakes are fine. Ums and ahs can be fine. They can be good signals. It can give us break as listeners, right? Like, oh, thank goodness right. he stopped talking. And, and I'm not suggesting it needs to be Shakespeare. It needs to be conversational. Be yourself. Don't don't be all formal and artificial. Again, take a few minutes, read through it one time what you play, run through it once and then and then go. All right, Jane. So let's let's move on to actual emails. We've talked. Thank you for digging in here with the the videos because email, as I mentioned before, was we saw that it was still the the number one communications. But I I'm looking at my stack of of communication channels. You know, there's email, there is Slack, and then I've got all the social channels. I've got all these inputs, and uh, I, I I get overwhelmed. And I'm sure many of our listeners are also feeling like, oh my gosh, that's my inbox is is killing me. Um, so how can we make sure our communications are clearer and more effective in, in that medium as well? Email will never die is the message. I wanted to use that in the report, but it, I think it got overruled for something a little less, <laughs> a little less <laughs> arch, sarcastic. We need to put a stake through its heart, but uh, it's never going to happen. I have, I have two reasons I'm interested in this. The first is for a long time, I have done a lot of work and wrote a book about uh, sharing tacit knowledge, how we can show our work, that sometimes we need to Take a screenshot, make a video, take a picture, write down steps just to show what we're to capture what we're doing, to capture the things that are difficult to catch in writing. For instance, a recipe, your grandma here in the South, everybody's grandma makes fabulous biscuits and not one of them has written down how to do it. You have to go watch them or get a video of it and they do everything by, well, here's a handful of this, here's something of that. You have to love it. And sometimes it's just easier to share things that way. So a lot of my work was about capturing something you do, capturing the way you do it finding channels for sharing that and developing a habit of doing it because we tend to be automatic. We go go on to the next thing. We don't think to tell somebody else how we did it when we could really save somebody else time and trouble. So I have a lot of interest in just the idea of capturing our work better via via visuals in particular, sometimes other things, but but via visuals. But the other area that has interested me is that I was a platform stand-up classroom facilitator for many years. Even when I was working on e-learning, I was still doing a good deal of classroom training. I ran the state of North Carolina's train the trainer program for a decade, I guess. I got involved in e-learning and presentation skills, both of which demanded learning how to cult cut, cut your message down to the essential, learning how to create visuals that were effective, learning how to cut down text. And one of the things I find interesting about all the stuff I just mentioned is the fact that we have developed very automatic habits that could be really hard to override. And I actually called Julie Dirksen about this when I knew we were going to be talking about it. Julie's done a lot of work with designing for how people learn. It's written a great deal about overriding automatic impulses. So her books on this are designed for how people learn. And also her new book is Talk to the Elephant. And the elephant is that thing that is the automatic 
gut gut going, nervous system telling us this is how you do something while our brain is saying this is not productive. This is not the best use of my time. I know I shouldn't smoke, but here I go anyway, right? I know I should floss, but here's why I'm not. So, you know, it's it's trying to overcome some of those automatic uh, responses. And I think we just don't catch ourselves seeing opportunities for stopping too much talk, stopping with the automatic text dumping, taking a breath and finding another way to do it. One of the key principles in our Train the Trainer course was if what you're doing isn't working, try something else, which means don't just say it louder. Don't just say it more slowly. It's like when you're talking with somebody who doesn't speak your language and you think yelling at them is going to make them understand it, right? So the challenge there, though, is recognizing when something isn't working. When you're saying it for the 10th time, when, when you've explained it 12 times, maybe it's time to take a picture. Maybe it's time to draw a picture. Maybe it's time for a screenshot. Maybe it's time for something else. But it's that recognition that's important. And one of the things Julie recommended when, when I talked to her about this was what what are your go-tos and where can we, what was the uh, recognizing when your, your natural impulse isn't working and how you can set yourself up to interrupt that. And some things that she mentioned, I think they came from Dan Pink, might be making this up, were things like when you start on the second paragraph, stop and ask yourself, is this really the most effective way to communicate this? When it's the third time you're explaining something via text, stop and ask yourself, is this explaining this? So if if you find yourself frustrated or wanting to yell or feeling like you need to slow down or saying nobody's listening, actually, that may be true. Sorry. You don't stop. It's it's learning to catch yourself and recognize when there's an opportunity. Now, we had people in the survey, and if you have it open, I'm, I might get the numbers wrong. We had people in the survey who said that the, the people who were doing this, who felt like they were, you know, they were using images to help communicate or video, they they were experiencing less frustration with communication than other people. Did I get that right? Does that sound right? Yeah, I think this is a stat I'm reading right now. A whopping 97% of those who create images like screenshots, infographics, and charts to support communication say it makes their message more effective. Right. And that includes things like not having to repeat yourself. It also includes things like simple training. You know, you don't have to sit everybody down and just repeat over and over. You can you can capture policy training, compliance training. Some of that stuff can go very quickly just via simple visuals and a whole lot of, of talk. Uh, let's see, what, did I have any other notes about that? But, but, you know, we need to find a way to interrupt our, our automatic response and cut down on words. I also did a lot of work with this when I was uh, doing talking about e-learning. I did a couple of books on you know, developing good e-learning. And, and among the little tricks there were, what if you had to pay $5 a word? Mm. <laughs> the people who use Twitter can attest to how it forces you to learn to get to your point, right? So figuring out how you can get rid of some of the verbiage and text. And then we, you know, we end up complaining nobody reads anything anyway. <laughs> anyway. So where would an image make more sense? What are you talking, talking, talking? I had a, there was an example slide we used to use in, in the training for this where there's a screen saying, well, I need a kind of glass. I need it to be a bit triangular at the top and tapering at the bottom and standing on a stem. And the word, it just goes on and on. It's like 40 words. And really it's a martini glass, right? You show a picture of of the martini glass. Uh, but I think we just get caught up in not in not doing that. Yeah, for for sure. And I and I love that inter that the thoughts from Julie about interrupting kind of the patterns, right? Because I think email, I mean email is long established, right? Like some of us have been that's my, our whole careers have been in using email mm -hmm. and and you build habits and you build processes and 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 it's not 
no one ta- sat down and taught me how to write an email. Right. So it's you get caught up in kind of what you typically do. And, and you know, we have these norms that, you know, depending on your company, it might be bad form to send a two sentence email because it might seem terse. Yeah. And you feel like it has to be a dear, dear Matt, da da da. I hope you're well. I hope the family's fine. Yeah. There's all of these niceties. I remember I got in trouble once in grad school. I sent the instructor a note. I just said, I don't understand this feedback. And he like sent this big scaldy email that, well, that didn't even have a salutation, Jane. I'm like, what? Okay. Okay. I'm paying you a lot of money to take this class, bucko, but okay. But, uh, but you know, the other thing we learned in, uh, in train the trigger work is that that some some people, most of us, have a hard time giving instructions. My favorite little trick, and nobody understands this who's never done it, you've probably done this, is to get a, in a group of people, have a trainer get four groups of five, like take 20 people and get them into four groups of five, because they start over explaining, and then they start accidentally saying five groups of four, and then there's chaos, and it's your fault, and everybody's mad and frustrated at you. It's amazing how difficult it is to learn to give good instructions. I think everybody could benefit from practicing that a little bit. Go explain without without using your hands. Go explain with just words how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and watch what happens. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, challenging. Just another, it's another thing to just take into account. Again, if you're talking and talking or writing and writing, would a picture work better? <clears throat> For sure. Well, well, Jane, this has been a, a, a pretty extensive dive into the research. And I know there's lots of details that we didn't cover or get to, but the research report will link to that so people can go out and read it for themselves. Be- before we jump into our speed round questions, a- any final thoughts about the research yeah. that stood out to you or advice you'd want to give? Well, I think one thing we haven't really gotten to is this idea of asynchronous video for other for other purposes. Uh, we've talked about using it in place of a meeting, maybe using it in place of other things. I will tell you, in this project, what we did, because we're all on different times, we're all got different things cooking. You know, there were a bunch of different people involved. I was over here in North Carolina. You had the, the TechSmith staff scattered around working on this. One of the best things that we did was I would do a draft and then your lead person would send me video feedback. And I could look at it when I had a chance. We didn't have to schedule a time. I had time to look at it and think about it. And I could review it and go back and forth. I found it very productive compared to traditional means. We didn't all have together and get together and talk through every screen. We didn't all have to get together and argue every point. It was like, this is what we think. This is what we want. I'm interested in your feedback. She annotated the, the feedback so she could refer to a specific piece of data in the report. It was fabulous. And it was really instructive for me to see how effective that could be. I think that we have a feeling when there's feedback, eh, there could be emotion, there could be conflict, there could be stuff you have to iron out and compromise. It was it was very effective. And I did, in fact, go back several times to particular points so I could get it, get it right. But it was very useful. And I think we need to pay attention to where that approach, again, we, we keep talking about meetings as if it's a bunch of people, but this was just between she and, and I was very, very good. So I would recommend taking a look at where, again, defaulting to text and other means might, there might be something better we could do. Well, I just think it speaks to like, there's so many things that are caught in in words that we, I'm a classic, I read into everything. And so I project certain emotions onto the feedback words that aren't necessarily there. So it's good to hear people say it. Yeah. I, I have said for a long time, that's one of the classic problems with email. You know, it used to be in the dark ages, right before they invented, right, we had electricity and then we had email. There was a day <laughs> between those things happening. 
when you would call people and talk to them on the phone. Can you imagine that? And the thing is, after you hung up, it was over. But an email, you can stew it over it. You can print it out. You can forward it to other people. You can show it to someone. There's there's a whole lot that can get attached to an email, an emotional thing that didn't really happen. It doesn't happen other ways, which not to de defeat anything we've been talking about. Sometimes you just need to pick up a phone and call somebody, by the way. You don't need to do any of these things. You just need to call them, but I think we hesitate to do that more than we used to. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I like, I always like when we work on something researchy that gets surprises. I'm open to those and I'm always interested to hear what we, what we find. So I hope readers enjoy the report. Absolutely. And Jane, thank you for, for going through it with us today. Now we're going to do our speed round question. So this is a little bit more of a fun thing. Uh, quick answers to quick questions determined by the roll of the dice. So let's go ahead and go over to our speed round. All right, Jane. So we're going to bring up the dice cam. Here we go. We've got our 12-sided die. i got 12 questions, and we're going to go ahead and roll the first one here. I uh, hope you like blue and gold, but that is... I didn't. That is a nine. It's a little it's a little hard to see sometimes on the screen. i got to figure that out. It's, it's, it's a six where I am, but okay, what's a nine? Well, go ahead. It's, got the, it's all determined by the dots. So there, there's a dot. So... Uh, so what's the one thing you've done a lot? Uh, you've had a, a lot of opportunities. You served in state government, as you talked about. You work for the Guild now on doing work for them and research. What's the one thing you're most proud of in your career? The most, the thing I think I'm most proud of in my career goes back to our days doing the train, the trainer work. I wrote about this in my dissertation. I belong to a very vibrant community of practice, and we voluntarily on our own time of our own steam, people ahead of me, and then, then those of us who came after developed a train the trainer program. And I saw people who graduated from that get promoted and say that that was what they gave credit for. I mean, we had training that we did that worked, that they actually improved their performance. I think all of those things are common frustrations for those of us in, in learning and development, but I have people and they're very successful. Now I left behind some people who are in senior positions in learning and development with the state. Some people who have moved on to uh, pub, more, more public uh, consulting and present presentations opportunities and they, they say they credit the course we created for that. So I'm very, very proud that I left that legacy. Oh, that is that is awesome. Well, uh, and good for you, Jane, because that's hard to do. I know that. So let's let's get the next question going here, though. We're going to go to question two. Okay. And I know you've just come off some travel, but if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go and why there? I think I want to go to Fiji and stay in that cool hotel with the little huts out on the water just <laughs> yes. because we go to the Caribbean every year. We got married in St. Martin. We've been going to St. Martin for, for many, many years. And I like I like the beachy sitting by the pool. Not a lot of pressure. I don't feel like when we do that, we need to get up and go zip lining or anything. But that just looks like such a glorious place. My stepmother was a travel agent. And her favorite place on the planet was Tahiti. And that was back in the day when it was really a fairly primitive vacation. And so I, I would love to go there. I have had a lot of travel opportunities. I've been a lot of places, but I, but I really think that would be a fun destination just to go hang out for a few days after I win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah. We, yeah, well, if anyone wants to send Jane, I'm sure she'll, okay. you know, go, go do a friend traveling with extraterrestrials. You know, there are some people if the if the ETs landed in the front yard, if there was a ship in the front yard, I I would so go. I would like okay, all right, I'm in. Let's go. Let's go see what you got. Yeah. But bring me back, bring me back in time for Devlin, right? That's right. <laughs> got to get, got to make it to Devlin. Got commitments. Uh, got to make conferences. All right, we've got one more one more dice roll in us. So here we go. Question number eight. I guess I could look at my screen. I don't have to look in the tray. 
<laughs> so Jane, obviously you do a lot with research. You're, you're, you know, have, have a, a, this career that you're, you know, writing books and doing all this stuff. Where do you turn for inspiration when you're looking to get inspired about things? What's, what's that look like for you? There are people I follow. There are people I keep up with, like Julie Dirksen, Will Tallheimer, Patty Shank, Clark Quinn. People I think are doing interesting, fun stuff lately. People like Josh Cavalier is doing a lot of work with ChatGPT, telling us what's going on with that. Megan Torrance is doing a lot with learning analytics and telling us what's going on with that. I follow a lot of people. I read a lot of people. I probably just got myself in trouble for leaving. It's always dangerous when you start naming people. But I also find, and this is going to frustrate folks, I find a a great deal happens via serendipity in this life. Recently, I'm working on, a, actually, it's the, the upcoming Guild Report. It's our next report. And suddenly, right in the middle of reading all this literature, I got a fabulous idea for presentations about it. I got a fabulous, a very keynote level kind of inspirational, thought-provoking conversation about it. And I'm pitching it tomorrow for a conference that's already booked me to do one topic, but I think this will be better. And I can't wait. And I started working on the PowerPoint before I got finished working on the report that I was supposed to be <laughs> doing. So I was just on fire by something serendipitous, some things I ran across while I was working on another project. I was not looking for it or expecting it. But the ideas were so interesting and so provocative for me and so lend to so much other thought that now I, if this, if this conference doesn't book it, somebody else will, and I'm ready to go. I am ready to go. I mean, I could do it tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Awesome. So, but I think, you know, the message there is that you sometimes have to be open to things coming your way you weren't looking for. I, I think that happens to a lot of us all the time. We like to pretend that, you know, we've planned things or that we we use st strategy <laughs> to do things. But honestly, this just came out of the blue one day last week and I am on fire to do it. So, you know, go, go with that. Right. I, well, I love that. And it makes me think of a book I read a, a long time ago about uh, Dr. Fleming, the guy who invented or found pen penicillin, right? He didn't invent it, he found it because it was growing on his messy desk. But it was like the serendipity. Like, so I love that answer, right? Sometimes I think we are so uh, searching for inspiration, but it's really looking at all the pieces and things around us. And then taking it in and, and letting it inspire, let it be the inspiration. Cause I, I, I definitely see that from a L and D world that like the marketing stuff that I'm seeing, because that's where I'm also living, seeing that and how it inspires and vice versa. And so, yeah, I, so what's a great answer, Jane. Thank you. Uh, and, and you didn't ask this question, but I would say some of the things I've done that I am most well known for came from somebody asking me to do it. Now that's not, uh, that might be two things out of a hundred, but opportunity is not a lengthy visitor, right? If somebody asks you to write a book and you say, no, somebody will write a book, they're going to get somebody. It's not that you. So, you know, being open to somebody suggesting something for you, I think is, is important too. So anyway, this was a great opportunity. Thanks for the chat this morning. Absolutely. So Jane, uh, before we wrap up two things, one, mm -hmm. if people want to find your books or they want to connect with you, where should they go? Uh, I would say check Amazon for the books or uh, Wiley as they have been involved in the publication of just about everything. If you want to find me, I am at learningguild.com. You can find me through that website. I think that's probably the quickest way to get me is learningguild.com. My research reports are, uh, we publish one a month. I write most of them, not all of them. And they are available on the website. They are free downloads with a free membership. But if you ask me nicely, you know, it could be I'll just email you one. If it's been out for a while, but, but I write uh, long form reports for them all the time. I've, you know, every month. So take a look at, at that kind of stuff. We try to give people things 
what our readership for those tells me, uh, what they want in hand is something they can take to management and say, this is why we shouldn't make it mandatory, or this is why we shouldn't do another personality type instrument, or this is what other organizations are doing with diversity training, right? So we, we're trying to give people things they can put into practice in some way. Fantastic. Okay. The last thing I'm going to ask for is what we call our final take, which is a kind of a one thing overview takeaway that you can share. Uh, well, actually, just as a secret final take is always at the beginning of the show, um, right. but 30 seconds, 45 seconds of one thing you would, you would share with us uh, kind of as an overview of what we talked about today. What's your final take? I would say recognize that communication is fraught with uh, challenges and that we have all developed many, many habits. We have many, many patterns and recognizing when we are frustrated that maybe we are the reason for that, recognizing if we feel like we have to keep repeating ourselves, if nobody's reading the stuff we send them, if nobody's responding when we ask them to, you know, what is what is going on and, and am I a part of that and how can I override the things that I'm doing? I mean, as I said, one of the key principles in that train the trainer course I've mentioned several times is if what you're doing isn't working, try something else. So if you're finding that workplace communication is interfering with your productivity, it's taking up too much time. It's not accomplishing anything. You're not finding it meaningful. Let's stop and see if there is some alternate way, particularly through something like the use of visuals, for instance, that can help improve it and ease your own frustration with. Perfect. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me and talking about the chaos of modern workplace communication uh, in the visual lounge. Thank you. You bet. All right, everybody. Thanks to Jane. She is fantastic. So much great insight. And I'm sure there's more that we can get from her. You know, we'll have her back again and we'll talk about some other great things. But go get the research. It's available in the links below. You can download it, read it for yourself. See what you think about workplace communication. Maybe you have some thoughts about how we can improve it. We'd love to hear those. But also, if you're not using Snagit to help you along your way to create those images, videos, consider it. We've got lots of great capability there to make that feedback process easy. You know, create your short little video and snag it, send it off to what we call screencast.com, do feedback there, you get this whole circle of life thing, it's pretty awesome. But really what's the most important is here at the Visual Lounge is that you take a little bit of time to level up every single day. Thanks everybody. Mm -hmm.